Friends, I invite you to um, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll read, our, our scripture reading will be Exodus chapter 12. It's, it's going to be a little, little lengthy scripture reading. I'm going to read through verse 1 through verse 42. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 42. This is our our practice. We like to read the whole context of Scripture. And so if you would follow along while I read before we turn to uh, our time of teaching. So Exodus chapter 12, these are the words uh, words of the Lord saying to Moses... And he says this, The the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt." Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. 
In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord, your, the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them uh, have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sokoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time of the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was, at, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt so this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is a reading of God's word. So we are in a series on the glory of God. And uh, we've looked at the work of God's glory, um, the appearing of God's glory in the book of Exodus. We've kind of tried to trace the biblical storyline. And we looked at Genesis for a couple of weeks. And now we've spent a few weeks in the book of Exodus. Last week we saw this battle that is, uh, was raged between 
Yahweh. Remember, this is the, the name, the Lord, the name of the Lord that God gave to Moses when the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. And so sometimes pronounced, you know, it's pronounced Yahweh. It could be spelled like this way. It's usually translated as Lord with all caps in the Old Testament. Um, this is a battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh. And all of the gods of Egypt, as we, we read as well. So, last week we saw this battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh. And we saw the first nine plagues. The judgment that uh, the Lord had brought on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Um, because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, refusing to let them go. And God had raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose. That he would be glorified, he said. And so now we come to um, the next kind of segment in this storyline. And this is called the Exodus. It's the name of the book, Exodus, right? And the Exodus in um, kind of the biblical sense or Old Testament sense uh, encompasses several different events uh, that are all kind of interconnected and either, even overlapping. So it kind of begins, maybe we would say, with the plagues that we saw. Um, and then the, uh, the actual exodus, where the Egyptians actually get up and leave, uh, excuse me, the Israelites get up and leave uh, Egypt. So we have the, the exodus. And then you have kind of this journey to Mount Sinai, where... There is the giving of the Ten Commandments, or, you know, giving of the, the law. The Lord making a covenant with this group of, of people. And in some way, the Exodus is also kind of includes, at least conceptually through the Old Testament, would also uh, include the entrance into the land of promise. So after their wilderness wanderings, you know the story. Uh, God brings his people to the land of promise and they cross over into the Jordan River and then they get the land. Kind of. Uh, as you read through the, the Bible, through the, the psalmists and through the prophets, they'll make reference to this, this exodus. And it kind of includes multiple parts to this. Well, right in the middle of this deliverance of the Israelites out of their bondage, uh, in between the plagues that God is bringing and visiting upon Egypt and the judgments he is bringing on there, you have in the midst of this one special night and it's um, perhaps one of the most important nights in uh, the Old Testament storyline. One of the most significant nights in the people, uh, in the story of redemption for the people of Israel. And that is Passover. So between the plagues, and it actually kind of is the culmination of the plagues, right? This is... This death of the firstborn is the tenth and final plague. And it's also kind of the beginning of uh, the people of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. So this is kind of the, the hinge moment, this one night. And so I would like for us to look at a couple of uh, themes of this most significant redemptive uh, event in the life of the people of Israel. The centerpiece event in this big 
um, redemptive thing called the Exodus. And I'm kind of doing this from memory, by the way. So uh, if you kind of hang with me here a little bit, when you think you have all of your notes in order, and then you realize they're totally not in order. So I'm going to kind of wing it here, and I'm going to kind of do this a little bit from memory. But there's a few themes. I do have the themes at least written down. Uh, So there's a few themes that I would like for us to notice. First of all, one, judgment. You have a judgment that occurs in this event. And this is actually uh, even um, warned of beforehand in Exodus chapter 11. Remember, if you look back at Exodus chapter 11, you'll see even the heading there in our translation, a final plague threatened. So the Lord is threatening this, this final plague. It's warned in chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go. And then this is the threat at about midnight. I will go in the midst of Egypt, verse 4. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. So that warning is given in chapter 11. And it's executed, as we read, in chapter 12. One lesson that we would have from this, these nine plagues culminating in this last uh, tenth plague is um, that the word of God cannot be uh, rejected forever. The word of God cannot be endlessly postponed or refused. There comes a moment when the, the judgment just has to happen. And it moves from being a warning to, uh, to, to being fulfilled. And notice who is executing this judgment, by the way. This is the Lord himself several times. He says it in, in chapter 11, verse 1. Um, he says that I will bring upon Pharaoh these plagues. Notice what it says in chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt. This is the Lord himself coming to judge. Notice what it says in verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. This is the Lord himself will pass through this land to bring it. But the word of the Lord cannot be endlessly refused or postponed. The time will come when um, judgment comes. The decision that you make needs to have been made. And this is the case with Pharaoh. We saw last week that the Lord raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose. And he kept saying, I will glorify myself through Pharaoh. I will get my glory over Pharaoh. And you had this interplay of Pharaoh hardening his heart, uh, but it also mentioned God hardening his heart. But there still is within that story uh, a call for Pharaoh, an accountability for Pharaoh for why he didn't act. Why he didn't humble himself. The Lord asks this very firm question in chapter 10, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews. So they're passing the message. The Lord has got this message for you. This is during the eighth plague. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? God may have raised him up for this purpose to bring bring judgment on him, but he says... Uh, But Pharaoh has an obligation. He was supposed to have humbled himself, and he didn't. So the word of the Lord cannot be endlessly refused. The same for 
The same for us. If we will not bow to His Word, to the message that He gives, if we will not bow to His Word, we will end up being bend, we will bend to His judgment. So the first one, the first kind of theme there, we have to notice right away. It, the very nature of this plague, the final plague, is the kind of final judgment that is given on to Egypt. Okay? And Yahweh himself will do this. Here's the second, second theme I want you to notice. To lamb. Lamb. It begins, chapter 12. By the way, notice how new and radical and um, uh, altering this event is. That it actually rewrites the calendar. This is such a new event that it actually shifts time. The Lord says, This month will be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of your year. Now, up until this point, this was the seventh month of the year. The, the monthly calendar of the year would have been considered to have started um, after the harvest. So, like in September, October would have been the Jewish calendar. But here, the Lord says, "This is I'm doing a new thing here among you, and I'm actually going to re, rewrite the calendar. And this one, which was the seventh month of the year, will actually now be the first one. So, notice that, that first one. But then he gives this instruction. This is what I want Israel to do. I want you to get... A lamb on the tenth day of the month um, of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house. I actually worked on this a little bit today, so or this week. Oh, that's a terrible start. Um, not a bad start. Okay, so kids, I would like to see your drawings of it. I'm sure it's better. Okay, so cute little lamb. A uh, couple things about this lamb. It needs to be a male, one year old, so it probably wouldn't even have its fur on really yet. Can you imagine how cute this would be, this male lamb? You're to bring it into your house. Oh, a couple of other things. It needs to be without blemish. Okay? Without blemish. Um, a male year old, and you must take it, you can take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you're to keep it from the 10th day until the 14th day as kind of like a pet in your house. Okay, so there's a lamb, and this brings us down to the, to the next one, blood. You're to keep this cute little pet in your house from the 10th day to the 14th day, and then uh, at twilight on the 14th day, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, verse 6, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And they shall take the blood and put it on the doorposts, on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. So if you could picture your doorposts into an ancient house here. you know, And the lintel being kind of like the head beam that goes over the top of that. And they were to take this lamb and to take its blood and gather it in a basin. And they were to smear the blood on the doorpost. And across the lintel or the top of the house. Kids, you drawing this as well. 
Verse 7, and then you see it again in verse 13. And here's why. He says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. This is the Lord speaking. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall befall you. So the Lord himself comes as a, as a destroyer to come and destroy. And then you have, he says, uh, but if you see, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is actually, uh, notice the gift of this. This is a provision by God himself. The Israelites didn't come up with this idea. The Lord has specifically given them instructions. You're to take this lamb and you're to take the blood. And this is what you are to do. I'm providing for you uh, your protection. So that's the blood as a gift. And now why blood? Well, we get into Leviticus chapter 17. Um, the Lord kind of give a, gives an explanation of why the blood. Um, because he says the blood is the life of the creature. The blood is the life of the creature. And so the shedding of the blood kind of is picturing the death of the creature. And that a death needed to occur because death is the, the result of sin and rejection against God. Right? Interestingly as well, that uh, when the Lord says that in Exodus, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 17, he goes, I've given the blood, the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for your sins. Again, even there, blood is emphasized as this is a gift. This is really an act of grace. You have an act of grace he even here in the Old Testament in Exodus. So you have judgment, you have lamb, you have blood. Here, number four, um, and I'm, this is kind of a, a theme, the next theme. We're going to put substitute. A substitute. Notice verse 30 of chapter 12. Verse 29 says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock. And in verse 30, And Pharaoh rose up that night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Notice what it says here. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. There was not a house where there was not someone dead. Now, uh, some might go, well, that, that's, that's kind of true. I mean, of course, there, every home would have had a firstborn of some kind, right? You know, if you had a home, there would have been a firstborn person in there. And it's not just persons. You know, he even includes livestock here. Um, and so every single home. So there's a sense in which, oh, yeah, every single home. But some might go, wait, uh, but, but the Israelites' homes were spared. So, in, you know, if you kind of you know, kind of picky here, you might kind of say, oh, well, not every home, right? Because God brought judgment on some homes and he didn't bring judgment on other homes, right? That wouldn't be quite right. Because in every home, there was a death. In every home, there was a death. The question was whether it was an Egyptian firstborn or whether it was the lamb. Every home had a death. God does not come and say, um, I will judge some and I will just kind of spare others. No, he has to judge 
all. Keep in mind, it's not just the Egyptians who were sinners here. The Israelites were sinners too. If God was coming to bring down his judgment on them for their sin, he would have to judge all. And he does judge all. But he provides a way of protection. So every home had a death. The question was whether it was the firstborn or whether it was the lamb. Whether it was the firstborn or whether it was the lamb instead. So Israel and Egypt here are both judged. The difference was Israel had a substitute. And this brings us kind of to the last one, um, number five. And the last word here is faith. The Lord provides. Israel couldn't have come up with this plan on their own. The Lord says, here's the mechanism. You take the blood of the lamb, you apply it on the doorpost. And when I see that, I see that the judgment has happened. And this, in your, this case, a judgment has happened in your place in a substitution. Um, he's given the mechanism, but Israel had to do it. Right? What if an Israelite said, okay, yeah, whatever, and didn't put it on the doorpost? The Lord said it's the blood, and the Israelites needed to act in faith. They needed to, to uh, have an awareness of the work of God in all of his plagues and judgments on the Egyptians thus far, right? He needed to kind of see the activity of God, his mighty and powerful hand working in the land of Egypt. And they had to believe his word. The Lord comes to Moses and says, do this. And the people of Israel had to do it. And you see the description of that beginning in verse 21. In verses 1 through uh, 20, you have the Lord giving these instructions to Moses. And then in verse 21, and Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go, select a lamb for yourself. Take a bunch of hyssop, which would be kind of like this branch plant kind of thing. Could be used as a brush. He said, take that hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put it on the lintel and the doorposts uh, with the blood that is in the basin. And you should not go out of the door. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your homes. So there's a couple of themes I want you to see there. The judgment, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, we'll say. The blood being poured out for the life of the creature and a substitute taking place and the need for the Israelites to obey in faith. Sixth one, Jesus. Again, this Passover is the, uh, one of the most important things uh, in Israel's story. It's how they became a people. The Lord had done this wonderful miracle and he had provided for their protection and safety. And then he leads them out as we read. So this was a significant moment for the people of Israel. And then and when you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus celebrating these Passover feasts. The Gospels mention Jesus going and celebrating Passover. And you even see Jesus on the night that he was betrayed 
and crucified, that is directly connected to Passover. This was that same weekend. It was during that feast that Jesus was crucified. But I think there's a little more than the fact that Jesus celebrated this event. Um, Jesus is connected to it at a deeper level than that. And you kind of see that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River, calling for uh, Israel to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then when Jesus makes his journey down to the Jordan River to see where John is baptizing, John sees Jesus and he makes this statement. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't you kind of wish you were there? We read over this and we go, you know, I see that. But what would that have been like to have heard that in the mind of, a, of an Israelite and a Jew who was in the land and who had grown up celebrating the Passover, who were little children and asking their parents around that meal, what is the meaning of this celebration and this festival? And then hearing John the Baptist saying the kingdom of heaven is coming, going out there and then him pointing to a man and goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is he saying? I think what John kind of is saying there and alluding to there, uh, Paul makes even more clear in one of his letters to the Corinthians. He says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul says this lamb that all of the Israelites were to sacrifice for their blood is their protection against the judgment that was on them. Are, is merely just a pointer to the ultimate Lamb of God, the ultimate Passover Lamb, and that is Jesus. And Peter says this, writing to uh, one of his churches, he says, and you were ransomed. This is that language of buying out. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We're tracking, right? And then he says this, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. The true exodus, the true deliverance, the true redemption, Pictured in these events is pointers to Jesus, is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. He's the one on whose God's wrath and judgment was poured out. But Jesus didn't deserve it. Jesus was without sin. He was spotless and pure. And yet, His blood, the New Testament tells us, is how we get our redemption. Jesus acts as our substitute, taking God's wrath in our place. And then His life, 
that he lived perfectly is given to us. And his resurrection from the grave is the first fruits of what all who are in Christ get to receive. Death and resurrection. But this is applied through faith. In the same way that the Israelites had to believe this word and had to receive this offer um, and had to apply the blood. For us, we, we apply this protection and this salvation and this redemption by trusting in him. By believing in his word. So friends, if you're here and you're, you're a Christian. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And maybe you're, you're seeking to try and figure, you know, like, how, how can I live more of the life that God calls me to? Take assurance in this truth. God accepts you because of Christ. God has redeemed you and bought you because of Christ. He has provided the way for you to be saved. Do you sometimes doubt God's love for you? Do you sometimes sometimes think, what I imagine what some of the Israelites, if they would have really thought about it, may have, have felt and thought. The Israelites were saying, wait a second. This is not fair. This cute little lamb. Why does it have to die in my place? In in a similar way. This isn't fair. Why does Jesus have to die in mine? But yet, that is the demonstration of God's love for you. That he would come. Be God himself in the flesh, take on human flesh, and die for you. So that any who were in him get to be not only welcomed into his family, they're purchased, redeemed, bought, saved, protected. That's how much God loves you, Christian. That's how much God loves you. If you're not a Christian, if you're unsure on what this might mean, To this, I would say, well, the same thing. God did this for you. He has provided a way of escape for you. He has provided the protection for you and calls you to believe that. To say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I want to be forgiven. Jesus, I want to be in your family. That God has provided that. Notice a couple chapters later, God gives his laws for how Israel to li- is to live. But notice how what comes first. Redemption through the blood and believing that in faith comes first. This is grace. So if this is... You, I would just have the words that, that the Lord spoke to Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? 
If you feel even now Christ is calling you and you've, you've never really, maybe you've grown up in churches and you think maybe like you're, you're kind of Christianized, but have never had that regeneration, that God making you new, making you born again. If you've never done that, if you've never said, Jesus, I want you, I reject my past and my sin, and I want forgiveness now. Do that today. And if you're, if you're unsure, or you don't know what to do next, um, let, let me lead you through that. So with our heads bowed and our, our, our eyes closed together, let's, let's do this together. Father God, we come before you this morning having heard this ancient story from your people, this pivotal moment in this work of redemption and what you have done to provide rescue for your people. It's an amazing thing. And all of the little foreshadowing that takes place here in this Passover event, you, you giving this instruction to the people of Israel, providing a lamb, providing blood, and yet you're still, your judgment is still done. You are just, and yet you provide a way of escape through an innocent substitute in your place, and you call us to trust. God, for those of us who, who have trusted in you, may we be nourished by this truth. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That we could come into your family, not through any works of our own, but by your grace and your provision and your gifts. And our mere reception and receiving of that. God, remind us that we are accepted by you because of what you have done. And God, for those who the message of Christianity seems muddled or confused and conflicted, may you bring clarity right now that the gospel of how we are saved and into a right relationship with you is based not on what we do, but on what you have done. And we merely need to trust and believe. And so, God, for those who have not done that, if they would pray with me and say, God, I repent of my past. My ways of leading my life have led me nowhere. It has led me to the grave and worse. But God, this message is so unbelievable that you would save me by what you have done and what you have provided and by the price that you have paid. Through that lamb, who's not just a lamb, but is your own very son. And so I believe in him. I trust in him. And so God, we, we ask that you would do a deliverance in us. Free us from our bondage in slavery, like the Israelites, but our bondage in slavery to sin. 
and to death. Do that through us in in Christ's mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Would you stand for closing um, benediction? And I'd like to do something a little bit different for our benediction. And that is to, to read together this last verse of the last song we sing. All glory be to Christ. And this promise of what happens for us when we get to come into His presence ultimately. And so let's say these words together. When on the day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain, is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere His people be. All glory be to Christ. Grace and peace be with you.